This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have the July 11th, 1943 edition of CBS World News Today, airing just two days after the beginning of the Allied invasion of Sicily. Besides plenty of updates on the invasion, it includes analysis and updates on the war from Algiers, Moscow, London, Cairo, Australia, Honolulu, Washington, and New York. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. World News Today, brought to you by Continental Radio and Television Corporation, makers of Admiral Radio, America's smart set. By shortwave broadcast, direct from important overseas stations, as well as the leading news centers of our own country, CBS correspondents are waiting to bring you a complete report from the world's political and battlefronts. But first, here's Doug Edwards. Allied forces are smashing forward on a 100-mile front in Sicily. Our headquarters in North Africa announces that parachutists were the first to touch enemy soil, that American troops have broken through the Axis Trench Line at Gila. Enemy dispatches report allied landings at seven places in Sicily, and they admit that our air forces have cut off the island from the Italian mainland. Secretary of War Stimson has arrived in Great Britain. The Russians report that Germany's new offensive has been stopped. And in the Pacific, American forces have cut the Jap supply road to Munda in the Solomons. Now, for more news direct from North Africa, Admiral Radio takes you to Algiers. Winston Burdett reporting. Allied troops continue to pour onto the beaches of Sicily today. The invasion front extends for 100 miles around the southeastern corner of the island. And tonight it was announced that this whole coastline is in Allied hands. American troops had seized and secured their beach positions at 6 o'clock yesterday morning only three hours after the first invasion barges hit shore. The Americans have landed near Gela and captured at least two airdromes on the southern coast. In the British zone of operations, the Sakino airdrome has been captured. Our troops have everywhere made contact with the parachutists who broke into Sicily before them. How far inland the Americans and British have advanced, we don't know yet. So far, almost all of the defending troops we've met have been attacked. The swiftest resistance was down near Cape Pastora in the southeast, but this too was overcome. 
From Zola, the roads radiate westward along the coast, eastward into the British corner, and north over the mountains and down into Sicily's greatest plain, the plain of Catania, with its network of roads and railways and its chain of air drums. Airmen crossing the south coast to bomb inland targets all come back to the same story, a much fuller story of what has happened than is given in the web of bleak communique. They tell of invasion barges covering the beaches like driftwood, of small boats shuffling ceaselessly back and forth between shore and ship, of beaches jammed with men and stuff being unloaded, of an armada of ships and rafts and transports that stretches from the coast to the horizon. They tell of the enemy's weakness in the air, of the failure of enemy naval units to put in one appearance during the whole invasion, of immense fires sweeping the coast near Cape Carcero, and of other fires raging many miles inland. From the way it's going so far, said one pilot, it'll be like a prairie fire. The landings continue, but the decisive battle has not begun yet. Americans from the south and British from the east are steadily closing the two sides of the southern Sicilian triangle. But they have not met the main body of the enemy's forces. We know that there are German troops in Sicily. So far, we have met only the Italian coastal defense unit. Somewhere in the island, the enemy is keeping his central mobile reserve. His best troops, by the way, keeping them until he is sure of where we are going to make our main effort. The enemy would be foolish if he can make strong reserves before he or that we have committed our main invasion strength against one area. There have been no strong counterattacks, but it's still too early to expect them. We have established our first European, European bridgehead brilliantly, spectacularly, but the critical moment in the Battle of Sicily has not come yet. I return you now to New York. More news in just a moment, but first here's Warren Sweeney with a word from Admiral Radio. Not many years ago, the average family had but one main source of news, their daily paper. The development of radio changed that. No need to tell you how much, for everyone is well aware of America's dependence upon radio for news. Admiral has contributed to bringing about this change by sponsoring such programs as this and by creating the Admiral Radio, America's smart set. Now Admiral is at work producing something else to make life better, radar, the same radar that is performing miracles for our fighting men on every battlefront of the world. Radar's ability to locate enemy planes and ships despite darkness, fog, or storms is daily bringing victory nearer. And after victory is finally won, radar will bring about changes in commercial aviation comparable to the changes radio brought in circulating news. Planes will land at night on fog-cloaked fields in perfect safety because of radar's unfailing ability to detect obstacles which human eyes cannot see. Pilots need never be afraid of crashing into mountain peaks or buildings for the same reason. Other miracles, as yet military secrets, can also be performed by radar, the newest branch of radio science. And with radar, as with all things related to radio science, Admiral is a leader. Now, here once again for Admiral Radio is Doug Edwards. Admiral Radio takes you to Moscow. Bill Downs reporting. Standing up. The slaughter was terrific. However, the Germans have not eased any pressure on the Russian position. Fighting is still bitter. The situation on the Bulgaria sector, where yesterday it appeared that the Nazis might be approaching a breakthrough, is more steady today. 
Well, Hitler was pounding away, trying to close his military punches on Kurt. So naturally, there's been conjecture here as to just what the German command has in mind in launching this kind of attack. The Germans concentrated many thousands of tanks in the region of Orwell and Belgorod with the obvious intent of fighting off some 10,000 square miles of the Kursk failure. That strategy is obvious. But what are the ultimate plans of the Nazi command? Naturally, no one here knows definitely, but three theories have developed, and I thought you might be interested in them. So let me, let me remind you they are pure conjecture. One theory is that Hitler's intuition has gone into reverse, and this latest offensive is aimed at bypassing Moscow from the south, then swinging northward for another encirclement move and an attempt to attack Moscow from the rear. You remember the German armies were trying just that maneuver on a larger scale last year, but were stopped at South Stalingrad just as they were supposed to swing north for the encirclement of Moscow. Another theory says that the Germans intend to strike eastward in the direction of Voronish in an effort to engage the Red Army Reserve so as to so weaken Russia's military power that Hitler can then turn to the defense of his European fortress with safety. The third theory is that this present attack is the beginning of an all-out attack on the Soviet Union with Hitler ignoring the impending second threat and setting out once and for all in an attempt to defeat the Red Army. In this event, he would depend on his European defenses to protect his rear. There you have them for what they're worth. Only time will tell if any one of them is correct. I return you now to CBS in New York. There was little air action in Western Europe during the night. The Air Ministry says British Coastal Command bullfighters attacked an enemy escort vessel off the Norwegian coast last night and left it afire and settling by the stern. The ship replied with anti-aircraft fire, and one British plane is missing. Secretary of War Stimson arrived in Britain by plane a few hours ago for his first visit to an American theater of operations since we entered the war. But now for more details of all the news in Great Britain, Admiral Radio takes you direct to CBS London. Edward R. Murrow reporting. This is London. The invasion of Sicily came in the 200th week of the war. No one here is underestimating the magnitude of the task confronting the American, Canadian, and British troops. They are attempting something that has never been done before. The German conquest of Norway and Crete was not achieved in the face of strong opposition. The Japanese landing in the Far East were not made in the face of strong land and air opposition. The British have good reason to know that the taking of islands is no simple matter. So far, we know only that the landings were effected and that the whole operation bears the marks of strong, steady control. Our command of the air is complete. We continue to make good progress, and it appears that casualties have been slight. But there is no lack of officially inspired warnings about the toughness of the job ahead. The Luftwaffe has been holding back. Some of the best German air generals are down there. Dieppe proved that the landing can be made against fixed positions, and it proved something else. And that was that the Axis system of defense does not depend upon fixed positions. Highly mobile artillery, the concentration of air power, and the rapid development of the counterattack may be expected to form the pattern of their defense. So far as we know, the big counterattack has not yet come, but few doubt that it will come. After all, the Axis has more men in Sicily than it had in Tunisia. There is in London great confidence in the final outcome but there is no disposition to underrate the magnitude of the task 
or the grievous losses we may suffer. As you would expect, there is considerable disappointment amongst the Canadians who were left here. They all think they're as case-hardened as the men who are now fighting in Sicily. We do know that British airborne troops were used, and this is the first time that they have been absent. Tonight, the general informed opinion in London is that things are going well, almost surprisingly well. The thing people are waiting for is news that we have taken some airfield, which will mean that we can supply continuous fighter cover over the battlefield. It seems reasonable to expect that the fighting will spread and that more landings will occur in the near future. A few hours ago, it was announced that Mr. Henry L. Stimson, our Secretary of War, has arrived in Britain. He was met by General Devers and by Avril Harriman. Mr. Stimson has come over to confer with military and civil authorities and to inspect troops and airfields. Military officials here in London state that great importance is attached to Mr. Stimson's coming. He is accompanied by General Searles, our Army's Chief of Public Relations. But in spite of Mr. Stimson's coming, it appears that our end of the war is due to summer on the Mediterranean, or at least around the Mediterranean. And now, to CBS Cairo and the report of Chester Morrison. In this backwater of the war, remote from battle and deprived of risk, we hear faint echoes of the fight in Sicily, and even fainter intimations of the fighting still to come. The farmers we are told still take off in the morning from their desert bases, rise to enormous heights and drop their bombs upon the places with the musical names, upon Catania, Biscari, Comiso, Nebo Valencia. We are told how many thousands of pounds of bombs they drop. Pounds because pounds sound bigger than tons. And about how the smoke and flames were seen, and how usually all our aircraft return safely. We are told about these things that we cannot see, just as you cannot see them. But what we do see here in Cairo is not war, but peace. I keep hoping it is not the kind of peace that is to follow the war. But although people keep asking about it, no one has told us what kind of peace will follow the war. This peace that we see here is a grasping, selfish, money-making peace. A disorganized, insensible, nightmare peace. A sweltering mountain of peace rising above the fighting. And here everybody slides leaderless down the mountain without seeming even to care what he will touch up against at the bottom. Fighting is easy. You know your objective and you take it if you can. Maybe you get killed, but if you do, your troubles are over. It's when men are through fighting that life gets harder, especially if they're still puzzled when the fighting ends. They're puzzled, I can tell you they're puzzled, when they come to this place, which is one of the few peacetime places left on Earth. This is Chester Morrison in Cairo, returning here to CBS, New York. Since we went on the air, this bulletin has arrived from forward headquarters, the combined Allied invasion operations in Sicily. Allied officers said today on the basis of detailed reports that the crisis point in the invasion of Sicily has been passed and that to date, what was probably the greatest combined operations attack in history has been a total success. In the South Pacific, Allied ground forces have moved closer to the Japs at Munda, 
and our planes have again raided that base. Now for news of the latest developments in that war zone, Admiral Radio takes you to CBS Australia. William Dunn reporting. It's just a few minutes before dawn down here in Australia. Just a few minutes before dawn on Monday morning. The start of a new week. Maybe of great importance in the Pacific War. First on the list of unfinished business for the new week, of course, is the situation at Linda on New Georgia Island. A situation which the next seven days may go far toward resolving. The next few hours will also give us the final word on the enemy force of light cruisers and destroyers which our planes attacked on its way toward New Georgia and presumably Munda. That force may make headlines early this week. Or, of course, it may decide that a discreet retirement is preferable to combat with an allied fleet that knows its whereabouts. One of the most significant bits of news that has come from Radio Tokyo during the past few days is the report that General Tojo, on his visit to Bangkok last week, announced that the four northern Malay states have been or are to be turned over to Thailand. This report is significant because it verified it would tend to indicate that the professed champion of the greater East Asiatic peoples does not understand the mental processes of all those peoples. These four states were self-governed before the war and were never part of Britain's federated Malay states. It will bring no joy to any Malay to know that he must pay his future allegiance to the King of Siam. If there is any hatred in the Far East that equals that of the Burmese for the Thais, a hatred founded in the centuries of warfare, it would be the feeling of the Malays for those same Thais. If Mr. Pojo expects to win this war, as he so confidently asserts, he can be sure that any move reaching any part of Malaya with Thailand is a certain investment in future trouble. From now on, we can count the peoples of the four northern Malay states as being on our side, spiritually, if they can't be physically. This is William J. Lennon, Australia. I return you to CBS. While American troops battle the enemy in the Central Solomons and New Guinea, more men are being trained for future battles against the Japs. For an interview with the commandant of the Ranger training program in the Pacific, Admiral Radio shoot a CBS Honolulu. Webley Edwards reporting. In the Solomons, fighting are some exceedingly tough American fighters known as the Rangers. They fight with everything they can lay their hands on with every method of fighting ever thought of. They're doing their job well because they know how. Many of them train right here in Hawaii in a 14-acre training center that's a combination of jungle, desert, water, and hell. Here's a man who trains them. Lieutenant Colonel Francois Delescue, Commandant of Ranger Combat and Training School of Hawaii. Colonel, what does a ranger have to have? He must have a physical and mental confidence in his ability. He must be able to use every kind of weapon and master the bayonet. He must know all about sabotage, raiding, demolitions, and jungle engineering. Above all, he must learn by actual experience the real meaning of kill or be killed. How do you mean that, kill or be killed? The man who knows how to kill has the best defense against being killed. Every trained man here is a potential leader. With men under him who look to him for the protection of their very lives. Now, how do you teach them? 
After devising a training course based on the best of all ranger and commando tactics, I went to New Guinea and brought back tactical experiences. Every device and fiendish trick of the enemy is given to them here. The men are exposed to firing from foxholes and snipers and bees. They go through smoke, fire, flamethrowers and jungle streams. They learn street-to-street fighting with buildings burning and exploding. They make their own booby traps. They construct their own bridges. They jump 45 feet into burning water from cargo nets, towers, and hills. No uh, wonder they get tough. They have to be. We make them live in trees for 24 hours, dig foxholes, and live in it for 48 hours, exposed to live ammunition. It's rough training, but it saves lives. They hike 42 miles in one day. Right now, several hundred are running through a rugged six-and-a-half-mile obstacle course. How many are able to complete the school, Colonel? About half. Our men are trained in every method to lick the Jap, who is tricky, but not a superman. The Jap will never compare with the fighting ability of the American soldier. And that's the word of Colonel Francois Delescue, commandant of the Ranger Combat and Training School in Hawaii. This is Webley Edwards in Honolulu. I return you now to New York. London Radio has just reported that British and Canadian troops have captured and hold the town of Pukino in Sicily and the airfield and advanced landing ground nearby. Pukino is at the extreme southeast corner of Sicily near Cape Pusaro. Now for news here at home, Admiral Radio takes you to CBS Washington. Lee White reporting. You've already heard from London about Mr. Stimson's flying visit to England. Suffice it to say from Washington that his visit is believed to herald still more offensive operations against Hitler's fortress Europe. Important as our invasion of Sicily is, it's not believed in Washington that Mr. Stimson and General Searles would have gone to London simply in order to watch developments in Sicily. Elmer Davis, too, will soon leave for London, but only for a short time, he says. Whether he plans to visit North Africa, too, he has so far declined to say. Hard news from Sicily has been understandably sparse. Here in Washington, military observers are doing their best to leaven their enthusiasm with reasonable caution. Everything seems to be going well, and the Germans admit that we've established four beachheads on the southeastern coast of Sicily. So far, the Italians don't seem to have put up much resistance, and there's no news yet of the expected German counterattack. But nobody here expects the Sicilian campaign to be very easy, and our military men expect even the Italians to put up a better fight on their own soil than in any previous campaign of the war. As the president said Friday night, it's the beginning of the end, but the end, to observers in Washington at least, is still a long way off. In comparison to the healthy activity on the war fronts, in the Solomons and in the Mediterranean, the home front today looks sickly by comparison. The Truman Committee's report, accusing Curtis Wright of gross negligence in delivering defective airplane motors and parts to the Army, has produced another scandal in Washington. Despite the denial of the Senate's charges by G.W. Vaughn, the president of Curtis Wright, the government has brought suit for damages against the Wright Aeronautical Corporation of Patterson, New Jersey, the principal subsidiary of Curtis Wright. Among other things, the company is being sued for false, fraudulent, and fictitious claims in connection with advertising its held diver, Dahmer, which has never been perfected, as well as its manufacture of the P-40 fighter plane. 
The Truman Committee says the P-40 was never more than a second choice, and the Army has since discontinued its production. The Truman Committee has also criticized the planes produced by Gren Martin, whose gliders, it says, have been unsatisfactory and whose B-26 medium bomber is said to be dangerous in landing and in taking off. The Truman Report praises our aircraft production program in general, however, and singles out for special praise the Grumman Wildcat, the Douglas Dauntless Dive Bomber, and the Boeing Flying Fortress and Liberator. Washington, like many cities, is suffering from a meat famine, and from the looks of things, it isn't going to get much better unless and until Prentice Brown makes good his threat to impose price ceilings on livestock. I return you now to New York. Once again, here's Warren Sweeney with a message from our sponsor. Radio for the home front is important. It means easy access to news, entertainment, and information. But radio to a fighting man and a bomber means the ability to communicate with other planes and with headquarters. Radio at sea means orders can be given and received, help called, either to fight an enemy or for rescue work. Radio to the medical corps means air evacuation planes can be summoned to remove wounded quickly. Emergency supplies ordered. Radio to every branch of the service means a fighting team that is coordinated for action. Yes, radio on the home front is important, but radio on the battlefront is more important. And so Admiral facilities are being used to build the radios that go to war. But remember, your Admiral dealer will do everything possible to make your present radio last for the duration. And Admiral dealers are backed fully by the world's largest manufacturer of radio phonograph combinations with automatic record changers. We must eat well-balanced meals if we're to have the strength to work for victory. Well-balanced meals are possible in spite of rationing, shortages, and high prices if they are planned right. Look in your newspaper or food shop for the government chart which lists the seven basic food groups. All of us should eat some food of each group every day. For instance, group five, protein-rich foods, includes meat, poultry, fish, eggs, dried beans, peas, nuts, and peanut butter. Be sure you get one of these protein-rich foods every day, and at least one of the foods in each of the other groups listed in the basic seven chart, printed in your newspaper, or posted in your food shop. World News Today is brought to you each Sunday at this hour by Continental Radio and Television Corporation, makers of Admiral Radio, America's smart set. Be sure to listen again next Sunday when Admiral brings you World News Today. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The WBB America Theater, Rigby Building, Chicago.